he did like to have fun. He liked to laugh. He liked to joke. Uh, but Steve wasn't very, he wasn't confrontational at all. Um, not at all. Very gentle giant, if you kind of, you know, if you will. Um, you know, he was re real big. His physique was real nice because he stayed in the gym. And uh, that could have been intimidating. But if you talk to Steve, you'd be like, oh, man, be cool. He's just, just real down to earth. kiddos welcome in alabama politics this week brought to you by wing creek entertainment um happy to uh, be doing this thing again i am uh, josh moon that is david person how are you david man i'm i'm doing good this is uh the holidays are upon us this is That's our right. last podcast of the year and uh, i'm looking forward to uh to trying to enjoy the holidays, man. Man, you said that with a lot of glee. Get, get away from me. Damn. Not <laughs> Doing good. Just... It's our last podcast of the year. Last time I have to talk to your ass. <laughs> no, man. It's just, you know, uh, you know, I just, the older I get, the more I appreciate downtime, brother. Oh, I just, yeah, I understand. I, I, I understand I completely. Downtime. I understand completely. And, uh, and we should tell you, if uh, if you're looking to have a little downtime, uh, our friends at Wind Creek Entertainment can certainly mm -hmm. help you with that. Uh, you can yeah. uh, book, book yourself a, a trip to one of their fine uh, casinos in this state, Casino Hotel Resorts uh, that they have in Wetumpka, Atmore, and Montgomery. Uh, they have uh, a lot of fun things for you to do while you're there, all sorts of games to play. Uh, with uh, with the electronic bingo machines that they have, they also have uh, fine eating establishments and one of the finest spas in all of the state. They are there's a reason why they're the state's number one hospitality employer, uh, and they're they're great neighbors all the way around as well. So y'all go check them out. Look them up online, Wind Creek Entertainment, and uh, and book a stay for for sometime soon. I know they kind of fill up around the holidays and they do a lot of special stuff. And uh, but uh, but check them out and try. I, there may be some spots still available at some of their locations so you you will not be disappointed it'd be a nice time especially you know listen if you're looking for a nice gift for your for your wife or for your husband for that matter i know david likes a good spa treatment I um do. and <laughs> i do and i'm not ashamed of that <laughs> nor should you be nor should you be uh but uh the, the, you know get a nice gift card to, to the spa and uh you know and and go and and get you get you get a his and hers uh, you know, and, and y'all both go get a couple's massage and, uh, and try it out. You, you will not be disappointed. All right. Um, we, uh, we, we've got a good show. Uh, we've got, uh, we've got two guests. So you're getting a two for one today. Um, uh, we're going to talk a little wastewater, uh, advocacy in the, in the final segment, but, but our, our main interview today is with, uh, Nicholas Perkins, who's the brother of Steve Perkins, who was, uh, tragically gunned down and, you know, I would say murdered, um, yeah, by Decatur police officers, so. um, yeah. in his front yard, uh, three months ago. And, um, let me just tell you, you're going to want to hear that. Uh, we know because we've already recorded it and it's, um, Mm. Uh, Nicholas Perkins is is an impressive man, and and the way he he it talks about these uh, the tragedy that that, uh, that struck his family, and um, you know just how they've gone through this and navigated it. it it's it's really something that you're going to want to hear. And there's also a lot of details uh, that uh, uh, I think people have speculated about and talked about. 
uh, that uh, that he kind of sheds uh, you know light on uh, during the interview. So so stick around and, and listen to that. You'll you'll not be disappointed. But first, uh, we're, we're going to start with uh, political news, and I don't think that there could be bigger political news than what happened on uh, Tuesday. We're we're recording this uh, this particular podcast on Wednesday morning, so I don't know what's going to happen for the rest of the week. Uh, we'll we'll see. But uh, Tuesday, the former president was booted from the ballot in Colorado <laughs> by the Colorado Supreme Court. Um, and, uh, you know, they left it open. They've stayed the decision until January the 4th to give the Supreme Court of the United States an opportunity to weigh in on whether or not uh, they, they should have that authority. Um, I, I'll say this, okay? There, there are two things that I can argue simultaneously because I do not believe that they overlap, okay? Right. One is, one is I am uncomfortable with a state court having the authority to boot a major political party's candidate off a ballot. All right. I think that because let me tell you why I think that because while yes, it, I think that this person is a lunatic, um, uh, and, and Colorado, uh, I'm, I'm happy to see him off the ballot in Colorado. Um, I also fear what may happen in states like Alabama, where we have a Supreme Court that is so utterly corrupted by party politics and so devoid of of attorneys on that court, because that's who they all are. All those justices are attorneys. We're so devoid of of good, smart attorneys who have an appreciation. Uh, and a respect for the rule of law and precedence that they would do something similar with far, far, far less evidence and support. And we're, we're going to enter into a, well, you booted him, we'll boot this one, kind of uh, the same thing that's happening currently in, um, in Congress as they you know, seek to impeach Joe Biden for something that they... they still haven't decided on uh, mm-hmm. because he hasn't done anything. Uh, I, I fear that sort of back and forth. Now, I will also say, however, if we want to argue the merits of the case in Colorado, all right, that's an insurrection, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an insurrection. Yeah. And, and, and the man who they kicked off the ballot was leading that charge. Uh, you can say, you, I, I don't want to hear this, well, he didn't actually tell them to go and get into the Capitol. Listen, they had a whole plan to undermine the election. They had a whole uh, they, they they put it on a freaking PowerPoint. OK, uh, and this is the Christmas episode. So I'm saying freaking this week. OK, um, <laughs> and so uh, uh, they, they put it on a PowerPoint, what their plan was. All right. And spelled it out and how they were going to do it. They, they wanted to use military force to do this. All right. And would have done it had it not been for the conscience. I. I of Mike Pence and a, and a few other folks out there mm-hmm. that, that stood in their way uh, and, and backed down when it, when, you know, the rubber hit the road, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so that, but that man was part of that. He pushed these lies for months, still pushing them right now, but leading up to it, he pushed the lies about a stolen election, how they were, the, you know, stealing these things. People have gone to jail for this. 
People have uh, uh, people have lost millions of dollars in defamation lawsuits, uh, sp- helping to spread the lies that Donald John Trump uh, parroted first, you know, or that talked about first, uh, and put out there about the voting machines being rigged, about these these elections being rigged, about these people being corrupt. Uh, you know, ask Rudy Giuliani how's that's going for him right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think he's got 148 mil laying around. So <laughs> you know, but he's going to be a, a, so broke that he can't afford that hair dye, uh, and so. <laughs> That all of that, that uh-huh. is, that's, it's not just an insurrection. All right. The insurrection is what took place actually at the Capitol. Okay. Right. Right. That's a coup attempt. Uh-huh. That's a, it's a coup attempt. Yeah. You know, uh, the, Gaddafi took over uh, Libya with, with less, mm-hmm. far less. He just mm-hmm. went, the, the king left on vacation. He just went in and took over the palace. And that was mm-hmm. it. Nobody mm-hmm. ever, there was no bloodshed or anything. So, uh, no, you know, nobody smeared feces on the palace walls or anything, right. you know, like they right. did in the Capitol. So stop it. All right. S- just stop it. I, I just I, the, I, I believe I can have I can hold both positions. OK, I okay. believe I, I can do that. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to let you hold both positions and I'm just going <laughs> to hold one position. And that is that I'm glad that the court did what they did. And I could care less at this point about the uh, inclinations of the Alabama Supreme Court, because I think we're so far down the road of Crazyville that it's just bound to happen anyway. I think we're already at a point where Alabama is the freaking twilight zone. Yeah, and I'll, I'll use freaking since, as you said, we're in the Christmas season. Christmas, yeah. Oh, we're, oh, oh. It, we're in the, it's in the freaking twilight zone. And I think I think it's just inevitable that wherever possible, Alabama is going to land Alabama as long as the Republicans are running things mm-hmm. and right wing Republicans in particular. I think we're just going to we're going to always land on the side of crazy. You know, yeah. we got Tommy Tuberville saying that Trump didn't go far enough with uh. his uh, with his racist, incendiary, Nazi implicated references. Uh, yeah, know, wait. Okay, before we move on, can I, let me ask you a question. Let me yeah. ask you a question. Poisoning when when Trump says that about poisoning the blood of the country, do you think people in this day and age are so stupid that they don't understand what he's saying? Uh, no, I don't think they they are so stupid. I think I think he knows exactly what he's saying, and I think they do too. I think people. I think they read that as. This is, uh, you know, the people that he's talking to, mm-hmm. I think they read it exactly as this is a tainting of and a dilution of white European blood and heritage. Mm-hmm. You know, we got too many, you know, I think they, they probably start thinking, yeah, that's right. Because we got too many, you know, we got too many doggone interracial couples walking around here. We got too many, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, black people looking like uh, uh, what's that? The young quarterback for Kansas City or Steph Curry, Pat Mahomes. Or, yeah, Pat yeah, Mahomes and Curry, and and uh, and you know they start thinking about all of these uh, you know people that are that are interracial. You know, Tiger Woods and whomever. And I think they just they they look at these people and they say, "Yep, that's the problem." That's you know, and and, and they think about their children, you know, who are who are driving down the street bumping hip hop, 
you know, loud on their speakers as, as, as has become pretty commonplace, you know, in, in the United States and in Alabama. I've seen it a bunch of times. I'm sure you have too, you know, so they're probably like, yeah, you know, this is, that's what he's talking about. And he's right. I just, yeah. I mean, you know, I just, I, I, I never held the, 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 that belief of, of white superiority, that, that whites were the superior race. And, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I played basketball and, you know, and, and I knew the first time I played basketball with, with black guys that I was going to be setting a lot of picks, um, you know, cause that was, that was my, my skill set, you know, uh, but but uh, you know, no, it's not. No, a, I was, was going to be doing some boxing out. You know, I was going to be the box out guy. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, but it's not a black or white. I mean, you know, that's. I mean, that's funny. What you just said is funny. But the truth of the matter is, it's never been. Really, it's never been about race as much as it's been about either. Uh, just the innate gifts that somebody has, mm-hmm. whether that's athleticism or skills, particular skills, or the culture that somebody comes from. Look at yeah. somebody like, okay, they call him white chocolate, right? Mm, yeah. Do you remember him? Yeah, Jason, Jason Williams, yeah. Jason Williams. My he hero, put, you kidding me? I mean, I'm a short that, white guy. Uh, that, of course I know who Jason Williams is, you kidding? That guy played like, you know, he played like he had been playing in the streets yeah. with brothers, right? So his, that's the oh, way he, he played. You know, you yeah. know who his best friend was, right? It was, it was, it was, was it Iverson? No, it was Randy no. Moss. Randy, oh, I forgot yeah. that. I, yeah. I knew it was, okay, that's right. I'd forgotten yeah, they that. Played I on, they were on the same high school team together. Uh, yeah, I'd so, forgotten that. Yeah. You know, but but so so there's a, you know, so he was influenced by the culture. But then you take somebody from French Lick, Indiana, Larry Bird. Yeah. Look at how brilliant that guy played. Mm-hmm. That wasn't about race. So to me, it, it's not, you know, um, you know, this thing about, about uh, you know, black guys being exceptionally gifted at basketball, you know, it, it may be true from a cultural standpoint that we, that's something we've gravitated to. It's something that uh, our culture has some unique features, just like, you know, white culture has unique features. And mm-hmm. we have, I think, maximized that game. We've innovated that game, you know, mm-hmm. but but it's not just because of race. I mean, there are other no, factors. No, 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 no. I, 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 but I do think there is some inherent athletic superiority uh, that is that is present within uh, uh, you know uh, black citizens in in the United States. I, I just, I mean, if you look at, I, I don't think that there can be uh, the the per capita numbers of of athletes in professional sports. Uh, you know, when, when you're talking about. Uh, white versus black and the number of white people versus number of black people in the country. And then, you, then you look at the number of, of black people who play sports very, very well, uh, you know, versus, especially professionally uh, versus the number of white people. I, I just, I think that there is. And so that, but all, all my point was, was saying I, I lost, uh, if there was ever going to be this idea of superiority in my mind, that it was, it flittered away uh, you know, uh, from from that and from, you know, a, a dozen of other interactions of, of people who were just my friends. And I knew, good and hell, well, it didn't matter what the color of their skin was. They were every bit as smart as me. They were every bit as talented as me. And, and we were all going to have to work hard. All, and, but I just wasn't going to have some of the barriers put into my place. When, when I told people my name or I showed up for a job interview, I wasn't going to automatically be thought of in a certain way. 
uh, to where I was, there was going to be a barrier there uh, for me. And, um, you know, so that, that's all I was saying is, is just right. this idea that you're poisoning the blood. I mean, poison the shit out of it, man, man, you're not poisoning anything. What we get when we intermingle and, uh, and the way that, that it, reacts and the and the way that we behave as a society when we have that commingling of of all the races, all the cultures, all the people and stuff, and we do so in a way that respects one another, there's nothing better than that. There's mm-hmm. nothing better than that. Well, you know, and, and I and I and I get what you're saying and I think I think the essence of it is I agree with which is that um you know uh you know, there is, you know, all of us are equal in terms of our, I think in terms of our potential and our, mm-hmm. and our baseline capacities, uh, you know, and, and it's also true that because of what's happened in this country in particular, but, but even around the world, really, uh, you know, uh, white, white people have a privilege that that uh, other people don't have, even in their own countries, they don't have them. You know, so th- those things are true. Now, what I would the only the only thing I'm suggesting to you is that I think the argument that there's some inherent advantage, uh, whether it's due to athleticism or intelligence or or mm-hmm. any other kind of ability because of race i think that's i think that's a misnomer i think what is true is that opportunity circumstances create certain things so yeah. you know if you want to talk about the population of black people that are here in this country uh you know i can i can accept the argument that um you know uh only the strongest perhaps survived the middle passage Okay, you know, who survived that horrific, you know, uh, trip from the west coast of Africa to the east coast of the Americas and the uh, and the islands here, you know, uh, only the strongest were able to survive that only the strongest were able to survive the horrors of slavery. And so, uh, you know, you you probably have in that, you know, a distillation, not only of the of the most of the healthiest gene pools, but also probably the most cunning gene pools, because mm-hmm. you'd have to have a certain amount of cunning and intelligence and savvy to survive those two horrific incidents as well. So uh, I, I would argue that, but, 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 but I wouldn't argue that, you know, from just being black and having African blood. No, 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 you know, no, no, yeah, no, any no, more I than that. I would argue that yeah. just being white and having yeah. European blood means something. Yeah, no, I, when, when I said that, I, I, I was certainly taking into account all the circumstances that you just talked about. Yes, mm. yes, that, that, mm. that, that, that there, is, there are certain things. And, and I would also say, even up until today, certain things that, uh, that, are, um, that, that black citizens in, in America have experiences with that, that white people don't, um, you know, and, and, and what influences them and, and what drives them what leads to their determination and things. I think there are a lot of factors uh, that, that, uh, that are put in place uh, that, that white people uh, in a lot of cases don't have, um, mm. you know, and, and I think that uh, that 
Uh, you know, and, and one of those things is is simply overcoming a lot of the the obstacles and barriers that are in, in place. I mean, I think it creates a level of determination among some people that is, is simply not present. Now, don't get me wrong; I'm not arguing that that's a good thing in any way, shape, or form. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm not saying that at all. Because for every uh, one person that is able to take that and and turn it into some sort of positive in their life, there are thousands who are held back and harmed by that. All right, so mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. misunderstand what the hell I'm saying there. Uh, but, you know, I, just to me, what, what troubled me most, and, and I know we got to, we got to get out of here, but um, what troubled me most about, and I wrote this in a column, is that Alabama's elected leaders went nuts about Trump being kicked off the ballot. And the only one who said a word, a word about Trump and this awful racist Hitler like, uh, verbiage that he used of poisoning the blood. Mm. The only one who mentioned it was Tommy Tuberville, whose yeah. comments was he didn't go far enough. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what an idiot. What an idiot. I mean, I just, mean, <laughs> my God. I mean, l- listen, this is, these people are cowards. Mm. They're all um, scared to death of a man who privately, Almost all of them, except for the Barry Moore types out there, almost all of these people will tell you that Trump is a danger to the country, that he's an idiot, that he's a buffoon, that they laugh at him in private, that they talk uh, about the way he rambles and goes on and on with his stupid stories about stuff, uh, and they know that he's a danger. And yet they continue to push this narrative of him as this wronged candidate, this person who's been harmed by the system because he's so pro-America and doing, uh, and he's going to stand up for America when he's actually doing the opposite, and they're helping him undermine the country. They're helping him undermine the Constitution because they're cowards, and they're afraid of him, and they're afraid that they can't hold a real job in this country uh, because they have no other skills other than to be a lying politician. Hmm. So, yeah, you know, yeah. that's... And that's just my take. So, no, I'm, Merry Christmas. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We're we're gonna we're gonna slide out. We'll come back. We'll have uh, uh, Nicholas Perkins on with us to talk a little bit uh, about uh, what's going yeah. on uh, with, with that with that situation. You want to hear it? Uh, mm. Trust me on that. Mm-hmm. It, it is a great great interview. Uh, not because of us. I mean, well, you know, I mean, me, David and I are professionals. Let's be honest. Uh, nobody else could have done this, but you know, not because of us. Nicholas is a is a great guest and and. Man, uh, Yes. And, and a great guy. So mm-hmm. hang around and, and listen to that. Uh, we'll be right back. Alabama Politics This Week, brought to you by Wind Creek Entertainment. Hey, uh, if y'all would do us a favor and uh, go, to, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go and rate and review our little podcast here. Uh, that would be very, very helpful for us. Uh, you know, people might pay us to do this. You uh, never know. Yeah, but yeah, but let's not stop at Apple. Also, uh, you can do the same thing on Google Play, Amazon, yeah. and some of the more Android-friendly, uh, you know, platforms uh, as well. I forget that Dave is an Android guy. I am. <laughs> Me, I'm a conformist. And so, you know, go to Apple. But seriously, wherever you go, just do it. Just, just go and, and rate and review, and, and that would be very nice. Unless you're going to leave a bad one. Don't do, don't do that. Just don't, don't, like that. don't leave a bad one. Thank you. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. Happy now to have with us. 
Nicholas Perkins uh, is a brother of, of Steve Perkins, who was tragically shot. And I mean, I, I've used the term murdered uh, by the Decatur police. Uh, and uh, I think that's a, a fair assessment. Uh, you know, you may disagree with me, I guess, uh, and, and use some other terminology. Killed is, is uh, I don't think anybody can argue with that at this point, wrongfully killed. Uh, in his own front yard, and and we wanted to have uh, Nicholas or uh, on and and talk because I think it's important to remind people um, that these are human beings. Uh, you know, we we get caught up a lot in the stories in the in the protests, and, and I'm I'm not dogging the protests in any way. I think mm-hmm. I, I've written a bunch of times the protests have been great, and they've done a tremendous service to to not only the Perkins family but the city itself. Um, and, but I think we get caught up sometimes in that and we forget that on the, uh, you know, behind all of this is a family that's, that's grieving, especially at a really rough time right now, uh, you know, to go through the holidays, um, you know, without a loved one that's, who's been there, uh, you know, and, and by all accounts, Steve was, uh, who I didn't know personally, but man, I've got a ton of friends who knew him and worked out with him a lot. And, uh, and they I, I, just, I mean, they were devastated. Uh, by this and uh, and and I know that he had to leave behind a family that's going to miss him a ton. And Nicholas, what welcome in? And I, I guess just you know, kind of talk about where the family is right now and and how you guys are doing. Sure. Uh, well, good morning. First of all, thank you for having me. Sure. Um, as far as the family's going, uh, it's it's kind of touch and go. To be honest with you, um, this is something new for us. Um, losing Steve, uh, it's very surprising. It was very shocking. Um, uh, I just did an interview yesterday and I was telling um, one of the news channels, I'm not really looking forward to Christmas Day. Uh, Thanksgiving was rough. Um, um, I, I kept looking at the door, uh, wait for Steve to, to come through. Um, most of the time when you first see Steve, you, the first thing you notice about him is, is his physique and his beard. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Steve, Steve was part of the beard game. Um, so uh, coming through the door, that was the first thing you saw, and, and he always said, what's happening or, or, or what's up? Um, and strangely enough, I kept looking at the door, waiting for that moment to happen, but it, it never came. And uh, and with Christmas coming around in a few days, it's, it's strange enough, it's, it's going to be the same thing. And um, not really looking forward to it. Um, um, it's, it's, it's really difficult. Uh, my mom has, has called me a few nights, late night. Uh, because she's having a hard time. Um, and usually she's the strongest one in the family. You know, she's very grounded and rooted in faith and in God, um, but she's still human. Yeah. And um, a lot of late nights is when it, it hits her. And so um, I have gotten out of bed to, to, to go to her house just to kind of, you know, give her some company and be a sense of comfort. So I can only imagine what um, my, my niece is going through. She's seven years old and she doesn't have a dad who she was um extremely close to um yeah. so this this is different man this is different we lost our dad about nine years ago uh but dad was older um me working in a uh, a funeral business part-time you kind of get used to the elderly when they right. pass you know you don't really it doesn't really hit you as hard um but when you have somebody who's, who's close to you like a brother and um it's young you know steve was 39 and then have such a beautiful life snuffed out at the hands of, of people who are actually hired to protect you. Um, that's rough, man. That's rough. And then, you know, around this time of year, holidays, it's just, just 
it doesn't feel normal. It doesn't feel right. And so uh, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, I have uh, a little, a little bit of experience uh, uh, with that and, uh, you know, and, and trying to try, especially the, <clears throat> the part where you talked about the parents, it's, it's really tough. Um, you know, we lost my brother a couple of years ago um and uh and it was kind of the you know, it's the same thing we, you know it's it's so t- it's so hard on, on parents and mm-hmm. you know and and when you're the other sibling and, and trying to you know trying to get people through that and it's just it's god it's 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 terrible and and you know uh the, the one thing you know that I, i've heard from a lot of people is and i think you mentioned it uh, just a second ago uh, uh kind of in passing is that that this happened to Steve Perkins. That's what I, I, from my friends and, and and stuff that, that knew Steve, I mean, that's what they kept saying to me in the days afterwards that Steve Perkins, man, Steve Perkins, can you, who nobody would ever, Steve Perkins, really? They shot Steve Perkins. And I guess, man, if you wouldn't mind, it kind of tell us, you know, why, why people felt that way. What was your, who was your brother? What was he like? Um, Steve was a couple of years younger than me. Uh, so we had two different sets of friends. Um, and Steve's friends were uh, a rowdy bunch. Not bad rowdy. They just like to have fun. Um, they like to kind of get a little wild and crazy. But if you talk to each one of them, they would tell you Steve was the calm, cool-headed guy of the bunch. You know, he was always the one to be like, ah, just just, just brush off uh, things and that stuff rolls off your back. Very level-headed. He did like to have fun. He liked to laugh. He liked to joke. Uh, but Steve wasn't very, he wasn't confrontational at all. Yeah. Um, not at all. Very gentle giant, if you kind of, you know, if you will. Um, you know, he was re- real big. His physique was real nice because he stayed in the gym. And uh, that could have been intimidating. But if you talk to Steve, you'd be like, oh, man, be cool. He's just, just real down to earth. Um, family man. He loved his, his family, his wife and uh, his girls. Um, most of his time was spent at home or, or in the gym. He was one of two places or at work. So one of three places. Right. Um, he didn't really go out much. Um, birthdays and special occasions, Steve wanted to be at home and uh, and be around his people. Um, like I said, very calm soul, non-confrontational. Uh, wouldn't bother a fly, to be honest with you. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. Steve was, was, was protective. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a pushover. You can just say anything to him and expect a, a, a um, no response at all. You know, right. now he would give you something calm, though, but and he was like I said, protective, but confrontational. That wasn't Steve, man. He liked everybody. Everybody liked him. Um, never met a stranger. Always a helpful hand, and that's just the way you know he was raised. Let's um, let's follow up on what you were just saying. Well, first, before I even do that, let me. Let me just say how sorry I am that you and your family has to um, has to deal with this loss during, well, at any time, but especially during the holiday season. I, you have my deepest condolences, brother. Uh, just it's just heartbreaking to think about what you all are going through. Um, you described your brother in a way that, to me really does not comport with the tow truck driver's account and the police report's account of what happened that day and that night. Mm-hmm. Do you believe 
what has been said, that your brother came out armed um, uh, and came out confrontational um, with this tow truck driver, and that when he came out of the house uh, that evening, uh, or that that morning, I guess I should say, early that morning, again, um, before he was killed, that he would have had a disposition that would have made him um, made him look like a threat to anyone. David, I will, uh, I'll tell you this. As I stated before, Steve was not confrontational, but he was protective. So if you just can imagine one o'clock, one thirty at your house in the morning and your dog, your dog is barking and, and, and you suspect someone may be outside. The first thing you're going to do is, is become a protector of your property, of your, your house. You know, uh, a man has the right to protect his castle. Absolutely. Um, with all of my heart, I do believe Steve did come outside to see what was going on. Um, he did own firearms. That was his uh, Second Amendment right. That's right. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe that he did or would have come out armed to protect his property mm-hmm. just to see if anybody was out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do know that Steve had a nightly ritual of before he and his family laid down at night. He would walk around his house just to make sure everything was fine. Uh, they stayed in a pretty quiet neighborhood. Nothing really happened, but it was just the, the the protective instinct in him. He would walk around his house just to make sure everything was okay and in its place. Uh, he would do that with a firearm by his side. Mm-hmm. So to believe that he heard noises outside of his house at 1.30 in the morning, on top of that, his dog is barking. Yeah, I would say he would come outside with an uh, with, with a firearm. Um, I don't believe he was looking for confrontation. I just think right. he was coming outside to to inspect and okay. to to see another person in your driveway. That would 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 warrant um, some type of um, uh, I don't want to use the word confrontation, but you would want to know why are you here? Oh, of course, yeah. Why are you? Yeah, my lady, you saying, yeah. "Hey, man, put my truck down." Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. So, I, and I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. Um, no. And of course, yeah. according to to even tow truck policy, if that happens, you should leave and not come back. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's and right. and and that's where the 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 problem lies. Um, these people left, and another person, uh, a second tow truck driver, decided to be confrontational. And make mm-hmm. personal phone calls to law enforcement for a favor, mm-hmm. and 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 that's why we are here where we are now. Yeah. So I, it, it's still in my opinion. I don't think Steve did anything wrong, but uh, I, right. I do believe the accounts that that Steve came out to to tell somebody to get away from his property and to get off his yard. No, I I I agree with you. Everything that I've read, I don't, and and what I know about uh, the law and what I've read about. Um, what's supposed to happen in these situations. I agree with you 100%. Uh, I guess my question was designed to get to uh, whether or not you thought he would have come out in a way that would have justified the reaction, you know, that um, he received. And and I think from what you said, and certainly from what I already know, I would say that he did not come out in a way that would have justified what happened. 
not not at all, David. Um, mm-hmm. As I stated before, there, there were two different tow truck drivers. So, I mean, if you tell one to leave and he does leave, mm-hmm. you go back to bed. Mm-hmm. And then you hear that same disturbance again. Mm-hmm. And you come outside and you see a different person. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying that that's, that's going to raise an alarm with you. And then sure. you to uh, be surprised by uh, someone who's hiding in the shadows behind your, your, your garage. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, let me let me uh, let me ask. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 no. You're, you're fine. You're fine. Go okay. ahead. Let me ask you another question uh, going in a different direction here. Um, I've been really um, uh, disgusted by the actions of Hunter Pepper, the uh, city councilman there who has hmm. been uh, who has, I think. I mean, the, the child they elected to the city council. Yeah. yeah. If yeah, I mean, I think I think that might even be doing a disservice to children, Josh, <laughs> uh, to to uh, right. to associate him with children. Yes. Um, his his demeanor on this, his uh, his public statements have been appalling, uh, outrageous. Um, his attacks on the protesters, I think, are just uh, you know asinine. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get your reaction in the family's uh, reaction to Hunter Pepper. Um, I haven't spoken out publicly about Pepper, uh, only because that, that fuels him and gives him more attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as, as, uh, Josh has stated earlier, this is a child. Um, uh, Pepper is 21. He can, he can, he can just now buy a drink mm-hmm. legally. Um, to me, this is a game to him. Mm-hmm. He has no idea of, of, uh, policy and politics and how to help run a city. Um, to me, Hunter Pepper does not have the testicular vernacular to hold public office. Mm-hmm. Um, children um, seek attention, especially toddlers. They pout, uh, they wave, they whine, they, they stump, and they're waiting for you to respond. And that's what Hunter Pepper is doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where he's getting his information, which might, uh, I, I may add, has been pretty accurate information, which is wrong. Mm-hmm. Someone is feeding Pepper information, but Pepper is, he does not have the integrity enough to know when he's being a puppet. Mm-hmm. People who are feeding him this information wouldn't put that out, but they know he would yeah. because it's a game to him. This is not real life. And furthermore, with you acting this way, where are your parents? Mm-hmm. Who's, who's in authority to, to call and tell you, hey, you're messing up. You should sit down. You should probably shut your mouth. Mm-hmm. Apparently, no one has done that. Can you give, us a, can you give us a quick example of, um, of information that you think he's being fed? Um, well, when, when his email leaked about the disciplinary actions of the officers, Mm-hmm. Um, that was leaked out about a week before uh, Mayor Tara Bolden released it, uh, and it was and it was very accurate. It was it was spot on. So mm-hmm. how did he get that information before Tab did? He's talking to somebody. 
Yeah, if I had to guess, I would guess that he's he's probably talking to the attorneys that are representing the police officers. He could be. Uh, he could be. Yeah, because you know his his brother is in law enforcement. Yeah. And I, I think there's a connection there through the through the normal channels of uh, you know I've dealt with this uh, before a little bit in you know we we went through a similar uh, case in Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Gunn, who was gunned down there and uh, in his front yard, and and to see the 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 mechanisms work. I mean, it's they they've got this thing down, uh, you know, how they how they feed things back and forth within the within the police department itself. And, you know, as far as Hunter Pepper goes, I mean, this you know, the embarrassment to the city that he has caused in this is absolutely well earned. This was a group of people who tried to shortchange the city for th- on 3M's behalf. And, and inserted him into this position that he never should have been in when they had another long-running qualified person who loved to cater in that spot. And they got this, they pushed this guy through over there just so they could push through a stupid settlement for the city that they never should have done. And now now there's going to be a family that's already suing 3M now, or, or a bunch of families that are suing 3M and some other companies that are going to get the money that the city should have gotten out of this. But that's that's another story, mm-hmm. I guess. I'm, I'm sorry, David, go ahead. No, no, no. no. I was done. Yeah, go ahead. I was done. Yeah, uh, you know, I wanted to. Um, you you mentioned something else earlier, and I wa- I wanted to ask you about it. Mm-hmm. And and it was you know the 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 police and and just what was taking place that night. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said uh, it's the first time I've heard anybody actually say it. There've been a lot of rumors and a lot of people talk about it that the tow truck driver had some friends on the force. He made a call, and some some of his friends showed up. Has that been fairly substantiated at this point? Yes. Yes, it has. Um, I I don't know exactly what took place as far as the conversation goes, Um, but I I can confirm that that there was one tow tow truck driver. Um, Steve kind of, you know, shooed him away, uh, and he went and told his uh, his supervisor. Mm -hmm. And the supervisor, in turn, called in a favor from law enforcement and that's how they ended back at steve's place right so so everybody at the everybody at the house that night knew they they shouldn't be there that's the reason why they were hiding yes from my understanding from my understanding and the thing is josh i i'm not even sure if the three police knew that they weren't supposed to be there Okay. I'm not sure, but I know who did know, mm-hmm. and that would be the supervisor, Mister mm-hmm. uh, Van Summers. Right now, he knew yeah. they shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. So why, yeah. why would you even feel comfortable enough to even give that order to basically rookies? Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah. that that's the that's the messed up part. That that that, that uh, the Marquette uh, guy who is the shooter. Right. Uh, in this, um, he, uh, from from my understanding, is a very young officer, um, and uh, and part of the holdup in some of this, my understanding again for, through various sources, is that uh, he was not going to take the fall for things. Uh, he said, you know, basically from the start, my supervisor told me to go here and do these things. I didn't know what was going on, um, and and you know, I come out from the side of the house and. Um, and this this is what took place, and um, you know, and of course they're they're trying to pin the whole thing on him, and you know, we're, you're talking about a, a very young guy who who was not familiar with protocols apparently, mm-hmm. and they went along with this, and 
Um, now, I mean, I think that speaks to leadership within the police department itself, uh, that number one, you would have somebody in a supervisor position uh, who would who would do this sort of thing. And number two, that you would have some people who were uh, so unfamiliar with protocols that they would go along with it right. uh, to this point. But um, I mean, at, at, at this point in time, uh, where are, are y'all in, in dealing with, with the city? I mean, do you, do you feel like uh, there have been people who have tried to do the right thing uh, that that are in a leadership position, either with the police department or with the city of Decatur. Um, you know, and I'm including the city council and 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 Tab Bowling and uh, Todd Pinion, the chief of police. Uh, who you know, who do you feel like, if anybody has has tried to do a decent job in this? Um, Josh, there have been a couple, and when I say a couple, I mean a couple of people who have done or tried or attempted to do the right thing. Um, and they are people who are on the, the city council. And it's just mm-hmm. a, a few of those. Um, but the rest of the people in leadership, no, not at all. Um, I don't think they tried to do the right thing at all. Um, they've dragged it out um, quite a bit, an extended period. You know, we, we're almost three months in and we just got disciplinary actions what, a week ago, maybe mm-hmm. weeks ago. Um, Josh, I wish you could have seen the, the crime scene um, when we got back to my brother's house at about 5.30 that morning. Uh, we left the hospital at 3, and I think this event occurred around 1.30, 1.45. It was cleared like no one had been there. Mm-hmm. No one. The only thing that was left was the pool of, of my brother's blood in the yard where he was laying dying. Um, mm. And to be honest with you, um, had my sister-in-law come home like she was supposed to uh, from her, her shift at work, she wouldn't have looked in the yard. You know, she would have pulled into her garage and went to bed and, and would have thought my brother was at work because he was supposed to be at work that morning at six o'clock. Wow. So they, they they pushed this up under the rug very quickly because they had done wrong. They knew they weren't mm-hmm. supposed to be there. Um, and so in, in, in the events after that, um, no, no one did anything right. We didn't get a phone call from um, from chief of police. We didn't get a phone call from the mayor. Um, the only phone call I did get was from the coroner at about nine o'clock, um, asking me to confirm my brother's identity. So no, no one in the city did anything right. They knew they were in trouble. Um, you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar and you tried your best to cover this up. Yeah, yeah that's, that, you know, I, I've read that a couple of times um, about, um, um, you know, that, that statement that they put out. Had it not been for those security cameras, Across the street, they were stuck with that statement. Yes, uh, and that would have that would have been that would have been their story. He came out waving a gun like a crazy person, and you know we, we didn't have any choice, you know. Yes, and because um, that that doesn't you know if you if you understand the inner workings of a police department, that statement going out didn't happen by accident. In- all right. Yeah, they, they talked to these cops on the scene. The cops gave them a story. The chief of police was involved. Their public information officer wrote up a statement. It was approved by the chief of police and the other folks who were around. And then it was issued out to people. All right. So it didn't just some just random person didn't just run in and make a statement out of this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think it's and I think it's good that you break down that process, Josh, because a lot of people probably don't understand that there's a systematic approach to creating something like that. But I got to ask you a question because I think, and, and I want Mr. Perkins also to weigh in here. Um, Do you believe that the chief of police knew that it was a bunch of bull or do you think that he was deceived? 
That's a, that's a tough call. I don't know. I, I, uh, I certainly, I, I'll say this. I'll say this. I don't think there's any way that the chief of police of a, of a, of a, of a uh, you know, a police department the size of Decatur's could have known that his officers were at the scene of a repossession and didn't think, the hell were you guys doing there? And so I think he knew from the very start that something very hinky was going, had gone on there. Okay. Mr. Perkins, what do you think? I can piggyback off of Josh on that. Um, I don't think he knew exactly what had transpired. Um, and after he found out who the victim was in this case, mm-hmm. I think he really thought, man, this, something is not adding up. And the reason mm-hmm. I say that is because the chief even worked out with Steve mm-hmm. personally. Mm-hmm. The chief knows me personally. Mm-hmm. So this is, I, I will say, I think this did catch, catch him by surprise, but he is the chief of police and he wants to back his officers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, yeah. you're kind of stuck between the rock and the hard place. And when you should do the right thing, you should do the right thing. Not just, mm-hmm. just back your people because you're all in blue. You know, I, I got to say, and this is, you know, I, I, this is my first encounter with you or anybody from your family. I am extraordinarily impressed with your demeanor and with your thoughtfulness as we talk about something that is obviously got to be just breaking your heart on the inside. Um, what, how do you, what do you envision as you, as you move forward, you know, not just through this holiday seasons, but future years and, and, and holiday seasons, what, what do you envision will be the best possible outcome of this horrific tragedy? Well, David, um, as I stated earlier, my mom is, is very grounded and rooted in faith. And uh, that's the way she raised us. And so that has been my leaning tower. Mm. Uh, that's all I have to go on right now. Because mm. as you stated earlier, this is more than heartbreaking. I feel like someone is actually taking my heart out of my body. Mm. Um, I hurt every day. All day, just about. Um my brother was a gym enthusiast, and uh, when our father passed, that was our therapy lab. And since Steve has passed, that has been mine. Um, and some days I just I can't push the weight hard enough mm. uh, because this is a pain that I do not wish on anybody. But what I envision for future purposes is that Steve's death is the spark or the catalyst to some law being changed, some ordinance being birthed, um, some type of police reform um, for for leaders to actually be leaders and not just be uh, butts sitting in a seat. Mm. I I, I need people to actually um, have action. You know, there's there's a a, a scripture that my mom uses all the time. You know, faith without works is dead. Yes. So I, I would love for us to have the faith, and we do have the faith that things would change, but we need some work to go behind it. So I need city leaders, new city leaders, people with fresh minds, people with, with young minds, people who 
who believe in change, people who believe in equality, people who believe in voting, to put people in those, in these offices and, and leadership positions so that the change that we want will eventually come to fruition. That, that's that's uh, that's that's what we want. Yeah, I, again, I just, um, I am so impressed. Um, just so impressed talking with you, man. God bless you, man. I, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's a, and, you know, and, and we, we should probably leave it there, but there was one question that I want to ask. And there was one question I think that, that a lot of people have had uh, from the very beginning of this. And, and that is, it has to do with, with the truck itself. Mm -hmm. Now I know I didn't know until a long time that the truck was actually repossessed as Steve lay in his front yard. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and he drove off with it. What have y'all been able to determine if this was a mistake or what, what happened in the, in the beginning of this, that, that, that prompted this whole terrible, terrible thing? Uh, Josh, what I can say is that, even after the vehicle was, was taken, uh, I had to acquire the services of uh, an outside lawyer right. to um, actually go in and talk to the finance company. That finance company is so convoluted. <laughs> um, seriously, with, with the way that they handle business, uh, with the way that they correspond with their clients, um, the fact that they're... Um, two or three states away. Uh, I think Penn Federal is in maybe Washington or Virginia. Um, you know, so it's, it's nobody local. Um, and the lawyer that, that I acquired said that that financial situation was so mishandled um, that even he did not know if, if, if they were right to actually even be there at Steve's house. Mm, right. he was, he, he's not sure. All that he knew was, was the process in, in helping us retrieve the truck um back into our possession um he said but it was it will require further more investigations um mm. to get to the bottom of that so uh, and until that happens we really don't know um my, my mom and i are just trying to make sure that we can take care of steve's property uh right. um and, and get it back to um, a place to where you know th this doesn't happen again um so and we're really not sure how steve handled his finances uh, just because it, they weren't ours, you know, he, right. so, so uh, we're, we're still searching for answers when it comes to that subject. Okay. Okay. Well, well, listen, um, I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback off what David said and say that, uh, man, it has been a, a pleasure to to talk to you and I, I, I wish it was under better circumstances, obviously. Yeah. Um, uh, but the way y'all have handled this, the way it has gone, I believe that what you said, you know, you wished for to come out of this is going to take place. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I, I hope that the people in Decatur continue to push it. I've never seen um, a city in a situation like this kind of come together across racial lines and economic lines and everything else behind the, an issue like this. Um, and, and, and so I've, I've been fairly proud of the folks in Decatur and the way that they, they've continued to push and the protesters that have, that have showed up from all over the state and the country, uh, uh that have continued to keep uh, this in the, on the front page. And so, uh, you know, I hope this does spark the change that it should 
And, uh, and I'll tell you this, when it's all said and done, the way you personally have handled this and the way the rest of your family has handled it and, and gone about things, I think should be the model for everybody. I don't know if anybody, but the problem in saying that is I don't know if everybody else can, could handle it as well as y'all have. Uh, y'all, y'all are a special bunch and I, I really do appreciate you spending some time with us. No problem, David. No problem. Uh, Josh, and thank you guys both for having me and, uh, even, even allowing me to be on this platform. Thank you guys for pushing it and putting Steve's story out there. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, I, yeah. I hope y'all uh, y'all have as, as good of a holiday as you can possibly have. I Amen. understand, you know, it's going to be trying. And, uh, you know, if, you, if we can do anything to help, you, you let us know. Of course. Of course, Josh. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you. Uh, that is Nicholas Perkins. He's a brother, Steve Perkins, uh, joining us now to talk about that terrible ordeal. And uh, we're going to slide out and come back, and we'll wrap this thing up in just a minute. It's Alabama Politics This Week. If you're hearing my voice, that means you are a fan of Alabama politics this week. And I want to tell you how grateful I am that you listen and that you're engaged with what Josh and I talk about every week. So I want to ask you to continue listening and uh, continue to support us and definitely reach out with ideas, comments, suggestions. Uh, Your support makes a difference and it means a lot. All right. Welcome back. Alabama politics this week. Josh Moon, David Person. I'd like to thank uh, Nicholas Perkins for joining us uh, in the last segment there and uh, and, and talking. Uh, as I said, it was a fantastic interview with him and, and uh, I believe it was. Um, and but we are also happy now to uh, to have with us Miss Sherry Bradley. And I, I am going to make sure that I do not butcher because she's the executive director of a very, very important program. It is the Black Belt Unincorporated Wastewater Program. That is the BBUWP. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, all right. And, and listen, what y'all are doing are, is very important work because I think a lot of us now, uh, David and I are both friends with Catherine Flowers. Uh, we know what she has done uh, in that area. Uh, we know what some other folks have, have been doing. And we, we've followed around uh, Terry Sewell for a bit and, uh, and, and how she's worked down there. Um, that uh, the wastewater issues uh, in the Black Belt area have been, uh, you know, at this point, they've been well documented, uh, but they've not been well treated. Uh, we should say, I guess. I, I, although I think that's starting to change, but uh, should t- tell us just a little bit about what who y'all are, what you do. Okay. Again, the program was created out of need because no one was installing proper on-site sewage disposal treatment systems that worked. <laughs> now, my expertise, I retired from the state after 45 years, February 28th of this year. But my bureau regulated on-site sewage, um, installation of on-site sewage systems. So that's where my expertise, that's why I got my knowledge, my skills, my abilities, everything. So after just listening to people complain about sewage on the ground, nobody doing anything, nobody helping anybody, BBWP was created. And so what we do, we went after a grant, a USDA grant. We had to actually find some mansion funds, which we did. And that's how we are putting in, we started out putting in the separate tank systems. And then along come the ARPA funds, the American Rescue Plan Act funds. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And I thank Congresswoman Terry Sewell because she was instrumental for that. Mm. And as far as the match money, I thank the governor of Alabama, Governor Ivy, because she actually gave us some funding along with other other um, donors. Mm-hmm. So we start putting in systems and we've been putting in systems ever since. Um, understand we put in three types of systems. We put in just a conventional type. And that's when you basically have good soil. So we're not putting in a lot of those. Right. We're putting in engineered design systems. That's where that's this prairie soil come in at where an engineer has to design it. Um, and we're putting in what we call innovative systems. For the first time in Lyons County, we have, I think we have four, four of those installed where we use what we call an ATU, which is the advanced treatment unit. Mm-hmm. It actually cleans up the wastewater so that when it comes out, it's clear. Nice. So we don't have field lines with that system. We only have the tank and we have sand as a filter. So we have three types of systems we install. Now to install the last one, the innovative design, you do have to have you have to have enough room for setback. But we we have met our goal. We we started out we're gonna start install a hundred. Well, we've installed for four like 80, 82, 83, but we have 15 people on the waiting list that are approved for install. We have just that many that can't get a system because of heirs property. Hmm. We cannot put a system on somebody else's land. Right. So when it's heirs property, we can't we can't put a system down. Or when you don't have enough property, we can't put a system down. So what do you do? What do you do? I mean, if you're if you're a, a person living uh, you know in, in that area and and you don't have the system and you don't have the means uh, to to do it, what I mean, what what what's the option for that person at that point if if they don't have enough room to put a system down that they need? Well, you come back to BWWP and we have found ways. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we just had a little don- magic over there, huh? Yeah, we just had a donation from one of our donors, and they earmarked that fund strictly for heirs' property. That if the people want to straighten out their land, let them go to the attorney, and we'll pull from the funds and pay the attorney for them. Okay. That's okay. one way. Now, for people with not enough land, there is a system by Dr. Daniel Ye that works. It's, it's working in South Africa now. It works for um for small lots. We are in the process of, of waiting for him to get it approved through the state to be used here in Alabama. So we can use his system and we can take grant money once it's approved and use his system. So that's a good thing. So anytime we come up and we are blocked out, we try to find a way to go around it and, and, and get help. So we're doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dave. If you had something, I'm done. Yeah, yeah I was just going to ask, uh, how many families are you trying to serve? Uh, uh, we are Brandon? serving the unincorporated area of Lowndes County. So, how many families? How many families is that? Now, that's a good question. Let me just say this: the population in Lowndes by itself is ten thousand, but in the unincorporated area, we can guess at it. And we've already, like I said, we met our goal of 100. I'm sure there's about at least 
three to four more hundred people waiting on these systems. Mm-hmm. But you got to look at what's going on. When you're out in the field and you got boots on the ground, I see things and hear things other people don't. For example, we have some local officials telling people, don't get on the program. They're going to take your house and your land. And it, it may be for a good reason. In the past, some people have gotten their, their land taken from them. I mean, when I called a meeting, I just I asked, I said, well, where are y'all getting this from? They said, well, Miss Sherry, I had a trailer and uh, I didn't pay for it. They took my trailer and the land because they use it as collateral. Mm. Mm. So, you know, looking at what has happened to some people, I see why they think that way. But some are scared. But we fixed that, too. We'll, we're working on that. We have um, 12 ladies now that's called our BWWP Community Service Corps. And they represent their, their, their respective communities. They know the people there. They go to church with people there. They have friends there. They're spreading the correct information. Now, they've been, we just got them up and running about a month and a half ago. So that's what we're trying to do to get out the correct information instead of misinformation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let, let me ask you before before we let you go, uh, what how if people want to want to help you, if they want to help you get the information out, they want to donate money, if they want to volunteer, they want to be part of the organization or if they need help themselves uh, with, with with some wastewater issues at their property, how do they get in touch with you? Who do they need to call or email or, or what? We fix that too. Now, <laughs> uh, Bradley, we have it. put we have put giant billboards down in Lyons County. Uh-huh. Even Stevie Wonder can see it, <laughs> oh. and he's blind. Uh. It's, and it says, "Do you need a septic tank system?" And it has the number on the billboard. We okay. put the we put three in the main veins in Lyons County, like Highway eighty and twenty one. You can't miss it. You can't miss it. Now, Highway 80 and they call it Freedom Road. Um, that billboard was taken down, but we're in the process of trying to get it back up. Okay. Okay. Well, if, if folks want to donate and, and help out, how do they do that? If they want to donate and help out, go to our website. Remember the BBUWP? Uh-huh. Just put in BBUWP.org. Okay. And you'll see my smiling face there. <laughs> <laughs> that ought, that that alone ought to bring in uh, in, in exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. uh, who I don't know who could look at, at, at you, Miss Bradley, and not say not send some money your way. And uh, and and listen, all, all joking aside, y'all y'all are doing uh, y'all are doing some real work in a place that oh, really, really needs it. Uh, yeah, it's real work when you're out in that hundred and three degree weather. When you when you walk past a rattlesnake. <laughs> oh. We're out in the yeah. field. We're we're boots on the ground. We don't sit in the office a lot. We're right. out. We're out there with the installers, the engineer, the soil scientist, the plumber, the electrician. We're out there. Right. Well, listen. Thank you for for what you're doing, and uh, and hopefully we can send some folks your way and uh, and get get a little bit more of the word out and and let some folks uh, you know get get back and solve this problem here. All right. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Miss Bradley, for joining yes, us for thank a few you. minutes today. Thank you. Y'all welcome. Have a good yes. one. You too. Thank you. Bye.
uh, you know, that's, uh, the, the work they do, man, they're, they're, they're not many organizations like, uh, like BBWP, um, and, you know, and, and those folks who do, do that kind of work and, and, you know, and we should, we should spend, all spend more time, you know, recognizing them whenever we can. And I'd like to thank the, the Southern Poverty Law Center for, uh, for helping us with that and, uh, and, and helping them get that message out and, uh, and hooking us up with Miss Bradley, who, like I said, go to the website and look for her smile and face. And I, I guarantee you, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to donate. You won't have any choice. Um, <laughs> all right, let's, uh, so moving on here, we got we got to do a right wing nut. Um, yeah. um, and um, I, I'm, I'm I'll tell you, man, I'm having a hard time getting past. I know we've done him a bunch, but I'm gonna I'm having a hard time getting past Tommy Tuberville. Well, um, okay. I mean, I think I think the, he's a worthy nominee. I also we, have. Do a, you have a nominee? Yeah, why, why, don't, why don't we make yours the Christmas nominee and mine the okay. New Year's nominee? How about that? Oh, that's right. That's right. We got because we're going to take a little break, so we've got some time to fill. Yeah. 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 Uh, so you want to start with Tupperville? No, let's hear them both, and then we'll you know, then we'll argue the merits. Uh, mine is Jason Whitlock. Oh, uh, yeah. Jason Whitlock of uh, of the Blaze. Uh, is he really still with the Blaze? Is that uh, still a thing? I think I think it is. I mean, from what I'm reading, apparently it is still a thing, and he's still oh, there. He's such a clown, man! It, it is. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I remember. I remember back when Whitlock used to be a, a good sports writer, man. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I actually met Jason Whitlock a couple of times. I talked to him. Uh, mm-hmm. Talked to him for an extended period of time one time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he was a gigantic asshole. Um, at both times, <laughs> uh, he, he really was. I, I, I don't, yeah. and I don't say that because we disagree. The, politics has nothing to do with that. He, this yeah. was this was before his little foray into politics, and um, he, I, you know, there there are a lot. I've I met Michael Wilbon. I've met um, you know, a, a number of really re, you know famous sports writers and stuff. Mm-hmm. To a person, almost all of them have been kind and gracious and uh, and helpful. Um, and, and they're, they're guys in that business, they're guys in that business who aren't okay. But the, most of the very successful ones who I've come across, who I've had the, you know, would go up and meet and talk to, uh, back when I did that work, uh, they were, they were all so kind and, and very giving of their time. And, and you know, if you ask for advice, they were, they were so eager to give it to, to a younger person. And cause I was younger back then. Uh, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, not so much now. And, and, and Whitlock was an absolute asshole, uh, wow. not just to me, but to other people. And I say that even on the Christmas episode. So, you know, it has to be true. It has to be um, true. Yeah. But uh, go yeah go ahead if you would like to to give uh, your reasoning for uh, for Mr. Whitlock. Well, you know uh, he has really gone down a strange path, Josh, as I think you've indicated, and um, and apparently very recently he spoke at an event hosted by Turning Point USA, which is one of those um, right wing conservative kind of outfits, and in his remarks um, he. Um, he basically seemed to be saying that women don't women having a vote was a bad thing. And he seemed to be saying this because, and I'm quoting him here, he said, um, um, he said, because a vote used to represent the family. 
when we were a culture that really valued family and really understood the natural order that God intended, man serving God, woman following man who serves God, man and, will, man and woman developing and nurturing children. You only needed one vote per household because that vote was about the entire family as they have destroyed our family structure and made this all an individual pursuit. Not everybody has to have a vote, and everybody has to have an agenda that a lot of times has nothing to do with family. So there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of turds floating in that suit. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a yeah. You ever notice that the people who always push that little idea of, of you know the man leading the household and the yeah. man having the authority and all that? It, always the man. Always mm-hmm. a man that does that. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, you know, listen, I, like I said, I, I knew Whitlock before he became Samuel L. Jackson's uh, character in Django. Um, and, you know, <laughs> and and it was, I mean, listen, it, he is, he does this all the time. He plays to a certain crowd. Um, and that's his M.O., you know, that's his M.O. to play to this certain crowd, to be uh, to be the black guy who they can trot out as their evidence that racism doesn't exist. Um, yeah. You know, and that's, you know, he's he's made money doing that. Um, yeah, racism, sexism, mis- yep. apparently misogyny. Apparently he's forgotten about how uh, during the time period that he's talking about before women had the vote. Not only were women being subjugated by society, but so so were black people. And mm-hmm. and the reality is that <laughs> Jason Whitlock may not have had a vote no. during that time period. You know, I it's, mean, in fact, he wouldn't have had a vote. No, he wouldn't have had period. one. No, he absolutely so, would not have had one. He would not have had a vote. Yes. So uh, you know, it's just the 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 argument is insane. You know, it, it just. Like you said, he's just, uh, he has become, uh, you know, in the, well, I'm going to put it this way. Um, In the whorehouse that is right-wing conservative Republican politics today, Mm. he's just another one of the, uh, one of the whores that is... Our Christmas episode is just taking a real turn. I got to tell you. It is. And, <laughs> and I'm saying he's a whore because I think, I think he he's, do, as you've alluded to, I think he's doing this in part for money. I mm-hmm. think, I think he's, I don't know that he's a true believer. He may be, he may be a true believer, but I know that, 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 uh, he, and he's not the only one. Uh, I think people who are in that, who are in that, in that part of that ideological camp and active and feeding on that, they're selling their souls, I think. I think yeah, they're doing it for money. They're doing yeah. it for money and fame and you know, he's he for whatever reason he's he's become that guy. And yeah. I and I think it's disgusting. Well, that's um you know, uh there's another one that, that comes to mind the same way. It's Clay Travis. Uh I don't know if you're familiar with Clay Travis or not. I don't but, know. Uh, I know. I don't know who that is. Who's uh, that? He's a, he's a white dude from from Nashville. Uh went to Vanderbilt, was an attorney for a while, became a sports writer. Uh was always somewhat controversial as a sports writer for, you know, uh doing crazy things. Uh you know, I remember one year uh at, at SEC Media Days, he asked Tebow if he was saving himself for marriage. Uh, you know, basically, are you a virgin? Um, mm-hmm. and and got a lot of attention for that. And and he would say some other things. And now he has become he's, he he has a, a right wing talk show on radio. Uh, mm-hmm. and and what what kills me about that 
uh, are two things. Uh, number one, unlike Jason Whitlock, um, uh, Clay was exceptionally nice. Uh, the times that I've been around him uh, mm-hmm. was always very accommodating about doing radio stuff and uh, and and talked to him several times at, at different events, and he was always very very nice and personable. And, um, and but the other thing is is as he started to make this turn into this kind of bro culture, uh, uh, whatever it is that he's feeding into, you know, this, this Trump bro culture kind of thing. Um, he gave an interview. I can't remember if it was with Deadspin or, or another outlet. And, and they kind of highlighted who he is and who he is, is a Democrat. <laughs> his wife was, uh, he and his wife were both big Obama and Hillary Clinton supporters. I believe his wife worked on, on the campaign for, for Hillary or Obama. Uh, and he essentially admitted that he's doing this to play the rubes, uh, you know, that he was doing. I mean, it's, it's out there in public for people to see. And yet he's still been very successful because he'll say these things that they want somebody to say. And it shows you the money that could be made if you're willing to sell out like that publicly and and take the heat uh, from it. Uh, and you know, like I said, he's been very, very successful in, in doing these things uh, and made a, a lot of money off of it. And I mean, I, I, I guess that's OK for him and his kids, uh, uh, you know, and uh, but it's it's still spreading misinformation and, and I think being ultimately harmful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, and it's the same way with Whitlock. Um, I don't I don't think for a second that Whitlock believes half the shit that comes out of his mouth or out of his keyboard. And, you know, I think that he just says it because it's going to keep him on shows on Fox and um, OAN and Newsmax and uh, writing for these right wing websites. And I guess yeah. that's, you know, if that's where you you're getting paid and, and you don't, I think he's burned so many bridges at this point that nobody, you know, no real outlet is going to hire him. And so, you know, that's no, all you it, got. And, and, you know, like you said, I mean, at one point in time, even, even despite his, um, you know, his personality or his character, mm-hmm. which I, I, you know, never had any interaction with him at one point in time though, he was a good sports writer. No, it was yeah, yeah, great. That's, uh, that's the reason why I wouldn't talk to him. He was, uh, he was, yeah, it was great. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I had a lot of admiration. I still have yeah. a lot of admiration for, for some of the ways he attacked certain, certain things, mm-hmm. uh, certain norms and things and, and the thought processes of certain people. And I mean, yeah. he's always very controversial and, and had some, it would, and said some things that were, we were kind of off the wall at times, but, uh, 90% of his work back then was, uh, I thought very thoughtful and, uh, you know, it maybe wasn't highbrow, but it was, it certainly was from a perspective that made you think in, at, at things mm-hmm. differently. And I think that's what good columnists do a lot yeah. of times, even if you don't necessarily agree with them, but you know, he's, he's just kind of turned into this person now who just does incendiary stuff for the reaction and there, there doesn't seem to be any real thought put behind any of it. So, um, I'm yeah. going to sell my guy. Uh, I, right. I think you've done a fantastic job. Uh, but my, my guy, Tommy, uh, Tommy T, <laughs> um, and his, first of all, his comment that Trump didn't go far enough, uh, yeah, as he idiot. continues to maintain that he's not a racist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, I, I said to, 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 I think to Bill Britt, has uh, worked with at, at APR, worked for at APR and, um, yesterday. If, if I told you a story about a white gentleman from inner city, pick the city, mm-hmm. who was living in poverty and with his kids, uh, they had suffered a tragedy of some sorts, and he knew that because of the drugs and the gang culture and things that his kids were doing, 
and he packed up what meager belongings they had. No car, no means of transportation, no help. And they began a journey to walk, hell, a hundred miles, okay? A hundred miles to a better situation in some southern idyllic town um, and got there and started working construction or whatever. This would be the movie of the week on Lifetime. And we would celebrate this person to no end. But you put him in brown skin and at the border, mm. those kids. Mm. And all of a sudden, we got people willing to feed them to alligators and put up razor wire where they're mm-hmm. trying to swim across. All right. You can say whatever you want about the drugs and stuff coming across the border. And I do think that there are some things that need to be done to stop a lot of that. Although, you know, uh, if there wasn't a market for it, we wouldn't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, Very true. And, you know, and, and so I think there are some things that need to be done differently at the border. And there are some bad people who could and do come across that border. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, 95% or so of the people that come across that border uh, and who show up looking for refugee status mm-hmm. are desperate people seeking a better life for themselves and their children because yeah. they know that where they're coming from, they have zero opportunity and zero chance of even surviving. Uh, till till next week sometime. And, and, and so you know, they've walked not a hundred, they walked a thousand yeah. miles yeah. to get here. And and the way that uh that Tupperville and Trump and a lot of these people frame it, you would think that all crime originates from that community when we know uh-huh. that uh crime has always been a problem in this country, you know, uh going back to um you know, the founding, the founding days, there've always been criminals. There've always been murderers, rapists, robbers, thieves, scammers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not, that's not uh, the province of brown skinned people that speak Spanish or black people that, that live in the inner city. I mean, you got, we've had plenty of white crooks, you know, and yeah. white killers and rapists. I mean, well, you, hey, you know. look, we, you know, and as far as, as things coming across the border, uh, I mean, I think maybe we ought to talk to the CIA about how you get drugs across the border. Well, I got some ideas. That. Yeah, I got some that. ideas about how that might happen. And the way that we've manipulated, uh, you know, the cartels, uh, the way that we have been in bed with the cartels for years. Um, you know, I mean, come on, man. You know, this is... This is another one of those kind of oversimplified. It, it, it's honestly, it's a lot like the the, the gambling issue in this state, all right? You know, because we have had a couple of times this week where I've lost my mind over things that people have said about gambling, and one of them being Steve Marshall, who told the Farmers Federation during a, a conference, a teleconference or whatever it was, that well, we just need to change and, and have tougher laws. What are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, you know, and they, people say these sorts of things like this. Like, do you really believe you're the first dipshit who thought of this? You, you know what I mean? Really? You're the first one who thought, oh, we should change the laws. There's a reason why that hadn't happened. There's a reason why the border is complicated. There is a reason why those things have happened, okay? And, yeah, you know what? Trump did deter more people from crossing the border down there. But he did it by being a sadistic human being and mistreating people, Okay. And that's not the way that we have typically been. We've been the beacon on the hill, the shining light, the give us your tired, your poor, your hungry uh, folks, okay? That's who we were as a country and who we've, who we've uh, been striving to be because the last time I checked, not a lot of us are named Running Horse around here, okay? 
Uh, all right. I mean, you know, and, and we all got here a certain way. And you can talk, well, they came legally. No, they didn't. They didn't come legally. None of us came legally, all right? We didn't. None of us came over here. We came over here and took shit from people. That's what we did, all right? Yeah, yeah, And, yeah. and so stop yeah. it with the high horse nonsense. And stop treating people like they're not people, man. Well, you know, it, again, this is one of the fallacies of white supremacy, you know, when when uh when white people do something white supremacy says oh it's an aberration or 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 you know or it's something that's not as bad as you make it seem but when when brown skinned or red skinned or black skinned people do something you know it's the group it's a, it's a it's a cultural problem it's yeah. a race problem it's yeah. it's these people that's this right. how yeah. they are yeah, white people never have to answer for other white people. We never have right. to answer for other white people. Right. I never, I never have to worry. Whenever I see a white person do something really dumb, that I've got to answer for why that white person did it. You know, oh, go get your people. Nobody's ever said come get your people to me when somebody shot up a school or right. you know did did something other. You know, had other some other kind of mass shooting or you know stormed the Capitol. No, you know, nobody ever said, hey man, what about your people? Uh, you know, I imagine some folks in New York heard my Southern accent last week and thought, I bet that some bitch was in the Capitol. But that's fine. You know what? We earned that distinction uh, by, by doing stupid stuff and voting for stupid people. And I think the real problem is, uh, you know, I'm going to go back to something I said earlier. The real problem is, is a lot of these people have never had their layup thrown into the first row of the stands. And, and that's the, <laughs> and they don't understand that they're just not the, you know, they're just not that great of people. Uh, and so they think they are. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they do. And it's, uh, it's, it's a shame. I, and, I, and, you know, we've said it a bunch of times as a Christmas episode and it's really tough for me. And I wrote this today as well. It's really tough to watch y'all say this stuff about, you know, ba- essentially killing women and children at the border, trying to swim across a river uh, to a better life uh, while simultaneously celebrating the birth of a ref- of an anchor baby, you know, mm-hmm. of a, of a ref- mm-hmm. you know, from, from refugee parents. Refugee, and that's who that's they right. were. Yeah. Um, and just stop it. Just what, mm-hmm. what, I mean, I know it's a crisis down there. I know there's a lot of people down there, but there's a lot of people seeking help is what they're doing. All right. They've showed up seeking help. And you're, and you're acting like they've, they've showed up seeking to take your stuff that nobody's asking for that. It mm. just is so, God, it's, it's, it drives me insane, but all right, listen, we've given, uh, we've given you a Christmas gift here. I think, um, I mean, first of all, the, the Nicholas Perkins interview was man, that, know? that, that's what I'm going to remember for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and, and then we, we went and we gave you, uh, Ms. Foster as well. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so, you know, I'm sorry, Miss Bradley, not Miss Foster, Miss Bradley. I don't know who Miss Foster is, but apparently maybe she'll be on and when we come back next year. Miss <laughs> Bradley was on today. Uh, right, Sherry so, Bradley. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, uh, and then David and I talked a lot. So it's been an extra long segment. If you don't want to listen to all of it, there's a stop button right where you hit the play button. Uh, and so, you know, at this point it's too late, but you've listened this long, you can listen to us close it out. I hope uh, everybody has a good holiday. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I hope, you know, whatever you celebrate, uh, I hope it's, it's a good one. I hope the kids are happy. I hope everybody has fun. Um, and until uh, next year, y'all be safe. Peace. <laughs>